Hello everyone, this is Rabbi Michael Hatton, and welcome back to TanakhStudy.com. Today we will be considering the final section of Parshat Matot, concerning the settling of the lands east of the Arden by the two and a half tribes, Uven Gad and Hath Menasheh. The section begins in chapter 32, verse 1, and continues through verse 42. And it can be broken down into five smaller units. The first unit, verses 1 through 5, is the initial request of these tribes to remain on the eastern side of the Ardennes. Verses 6 through 15 is Moshe's initial reaction, which is one of anger and disappointment. In the third section, verses 16 through 19, the two and a half tribes will voice their commitment to fight for their brethren as a vanguard. Verses 20 through 33 describe Moshe's acquiescence to their plan and the drawing up of an agreement. Verses 34 through 42, a description of the regions and the cities that are settled by the two and a half tribes east of the Ardennes. Before we begin the section, a little background is in order. Remember that in Parshat Chukat, the land of Sichon and the land of Og, east of the Ardennes, were conquered by the people of Israel. Those lands had only been conquered because Sichon, the king of the Amorites, had denied passage to the people of Israel through his land so that they might cross over the Arden. The implication of this is that the eastern lands were never intended to be part of Eretz HaMuftachat, the promised land that the tribes of Israel were to settle. However, the picture is a little more complicated. In God's promise to Avraham Avinu in Sefer Bereshit, at the time that they conclude Brit ben Habitarim, the Torah indicates which lands God had promised to give Avraham's descendants. Chapter 15 of Bereshit, Genesis, verses 18 through 21, indicate that God concluded a covenant with Avraham on that day saying, I will give these lands to your descendants from the river of Egypt until the great river, the Euphrates. The Keni, the Kenizi, and the Kadmoni, the Chiti, the Pirizi, and the Rifaim, the Emori, and the Knaani, the Girgashi, and the Yivusi. Most of these peoples or tribes are known to us as those that inhabit the land of Canaan proper. However, the first three in the list, the Keni and the Kenizi and the Kadmoni, were understood by the rabbis and by the commentaries to refer to tribes that dwelt on the eastern side of the Ardennes. The word Kadmoni, in fact, does mean Easterner. Kedem is the biblical word for east. The implication of this source seems to be 
that insofar as the ideal promise of the full extent of the land that God will give to Avraham, east of the Arden may very well be included. This seems to be reinforced in Sefer Shmot, after the episode of Ma'amad Har Sinai, the revelation at Sinai, God indicates to the people of Israel that they will in fact enter the land and possess it. Chapter 23, verse number 31 of Sefer Shmot indicates, V'shati et givulcha, I will set your borders from the Sea of Reeds until the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness until the river, that is the Euphrates, because I will give into your hands all the inhabitants of this land and I will drive them out from before you. So once again, in terms of idle borders, it seems as if the lands east of the Yarden could very well fit into the picture of borders that stretch from the river of Egypt all the way to the Euphrates. At the same time, we note that when God first addresses Moshe from the burning bush and indicates to him that Moshe will go to Pharaoh, will free the people, and will bring them into the land, God indicates what that land will be. Chapter 3 of Shmot, verse number 17 says, And I said, I will bring you out from the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Prizite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, a land flowing with milk and honey. These particular tribes are those that are located on the western side of the Arden and not the eastern side, the so-called Shivat Amamin, or seven nations. This is reinforced by a reference in Shmot chapter 34, where the holiday cycle is spelled out. And in that connection, the Torah indicates, chapter 34, verse 11, Behold, I will drive out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Prizite, the Chivite, and the Jebusite. We therefore have to conclude, although the land of Sichon and Og, the eastern lands, was part of the ideal Hitnachalut, the ideal borders of the land of Israel, it was plainly understood by all that the possession of these lands was for a time that was far off in the future. And only after the land west of the Arden, Eretz Knaan proper, had been conquered and settled. We begin our section with chapter 32, verse number one. <laughs> Mekom Mikne. Reuven and Gad had many, many flocks, overwhelming numbers. They saw the land of Yazir and the land of Yilad, and behold, the place was a place fit for grazing. The children of God and the children of Reuven came and they said to Moshe and to Elazar the priest and to the elders of the congregation the following. 
Note, of course, that initially, when the Torah introduces the subject, it refers to B'nai Reuven and B'nai Gad, the children of Reuven and the children of Gad. But when the delegation actually approaches Moshe, Elazar, and the elders to make the request, it changes to B'nai Gad and B'nai Reuven. The Ramban understands that, of course, when the Torah describes the context, it tells us about Reuven before God because Reuven is the firstborn of the tribes and therefore deserves first mention. However, the tribe that actually was most interested in settling the eastern lands was the tribe of God. And therefore, when the delegation presents itself to Moshe and to Elazar and the elders, it is the tribe of God that precedes the tribe of Reuven. And this is what they said, verse number three. Atarot v'divon v'yazer v'nimra v'cheshbon ve'el aleh u'sevam u'nevo u've'on. These are all place names. Atarot, divon, yazer, nimra, cheshbon, and el aleh, sevam, nevo, and ve'on. Ha'aretz asher hika adunai lifnei adat Yisrael eretz miknehi v'la'avadecha mikneh. The land that God has struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land fit for flocks, and your servants have many flocks. Verse number five. And they said, if we have found it favor in your eyes, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not cause us to pass over the Arden. We note, of course, that in the Sefer Torah itself, there is a prominent space between the end of verse number four and the beginning of verse number five, even, they are, even though they are all part of the initial request made by Bnei Gad and Bnei Reuven. We also note that verse number five begins with the word Vayameru, and they said, even though that was already stated back in verse number two. el Moshe. They said to Moshe, and this is what they said, the names of the cities, the land that God struck down. We have lots of flocks. So why is verse number five separated from the beginning of their request by a parshastuma, by an actual space in this Torah scroll, as well as by the use of the word vayomru a second time? The Abarbanel has a very profound reading into the episode, and he says the following. When Bnei Gad and Bnei Reuven begin to voice their request, they are waiting for Moshe's response and reaction. They don't actually state their request explicitly initially, but they hope that Moshe will understand it through implication. Therefore, they say, Atarot and the rest of the cities, the land which God struck down is a land of flocks and we have lots of flocks. Implication, we would like to settle it. Moshe, however, does not respond. And in that moment of hesitation and silence, the part, the Torah introduces a space into the text to note the discomfort of all concerned. Moshe will not react, will not respond, because he knows what they are about to say, and it does not please him. 
and therefore they have to state it explicitly, which is what verse 5 is. Vayomeru, they say again, and they stated explicitly, let this land be given to your servants, do not cause us to go over the Arden. Moshe's response is immediate and harsh. Pasuk Vav. Vayomer Moshe livnei Gad vilivnei Reuven ha'achichem yavu la milchama v'yatem teshevu fo. Moshe said to the children of God and the children of Reuven, Will your brothers come to wage war while you sit here? And one way to read this is, of course, as a rhetorical question. How could you think that it is right or moral for you to remain on this side of the Arden while your brethren have to wage war on their own in order to conquer their territory? Nothing could be more inappropriate than that. The Sforno, however, reads it in a more pointed fashion, and he says the following, your brethren will not come to wage war if you remain on this side of the Arden. Do you think that they will want to fight if they see that you don't want to fight the tribes west of the Arden? If they see that you want to remain here, then they will want to remain here as well. Verse number seven. et lev Adonai. Why are you breaking? Why are you distracting? Why are you turning away the heart of the people of Israel from passing over into the land which God has given them? This is what your fathers did, your ancestors, when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. And they went up until the wadi of Eshkol, and they saw the land, and they turned the hearts of the people of Israel away, so that they would not enter the land which God gave them. God was angry on that day and he swore saying, The people that left the land of Egypt, those that are 20 years old and above, will not see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov because they have not fulfilled my word. Pasuk Yud Bet, verse number 12. Bilti kalev ben yifuneha kinizivi hoshua binun ki milu acharei adunai. Except for kalev ben yifuneh, the kinezite, and Yehoshua, the son of Nun, because they fulfilled after the word of God. Vayicharaf adunai beYisrael vayinieim bamidbar arbaim shana ad tom kol hador haosehara beEne adunai. God was angry with the people of Israel and he caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until that whole generation had died out, those that had done evil in the eyes of God. And behold, now you have risen up in the place of your fathers 
a brood of sinful men to add more to the anger of God against Israel. Verse 15. Because you will turn away from him and it will cause more for the people of Israel to be in the wilderness and all of this people will be destroyed. Effectively, Moshe recounts in short order the sin of the spies with a special emphasis on the role of the spies in breaking the faith and the resolve of Am Yisrael. The implication is, is clear. Just as the spies convinced the people of Israel not to enter the land through their words, so you too, say, says Moshe, will convince the people of Israel not to enter the land once again, not through your words, but through your deeds. The two, and a half, the two tribes now respond. Verse number 16. They approached him and they said, we will build pens for, for the sheep, for our flocks here, and we will build cities for our children. The Midrash and Rashi note the order. First they say, we will build pens for our sheep, and then they say, we will build cities for our children. And the Midrash comments, this in a nutshell, was the issue at hand, that these tribes effectively put their wealth, their flocks before the welfare of their own children. And for that reason, they desire to remain on the Eastern side. For that reason, they speak of taking care of their flocks before they take care of their children. The Hebrew word for flocks, by the way, mikne, comes from a root which means to acquire, kana, in ancient times, certainly in shepherding societies, a person's wealth was measured by their flocks. As Rashi puts it, Chasim hayu al-mamonam yoter uvnotehem. They had more concern for their flocks than they had for their sons and for their daughters because they put their flocks first. Verse number 17. And we will gird ourselves and enter quickly before the people of Israel until we have brought them into their place. Our children will dwell in the fortress cities because of the inhabitants of the land. 18. We will not return to our homes until the people of Israel have possessed each one his possession. Because we will not possess with them on the other side of the Arden. Because our possession has come to us now on the eastern side of the Arden. So here, the two tribes 
temper their request, they now agree or volunteer to enter as a vanguard before the people of Israel to assist the other tribes in conquering their territory and then and only then to return to their possession east of the Ardennes and to begin to settle it. In the meantime, their wives and children will remain and their flocks will remain east of the Ardennes, but they will not actually possess it in a formal way until the other tribes have secured their territory on the west. And Moshe now agrees. Verse number 20. Moshe said, if you will do this thing, if you will gird yourselves before God to fight battle, and every one of you shall go over the Arden as a vanguard before God until you have, you have driven out the enemies from before them. And the land will be conquered before God, and then you will return. Then you will be blameless from God and from Yisrael, and this land will be your possession before God. But if you will not do so, behold, you have transgressed before God. Know your transgression, which will find you. Build cities for your young ones and pens for your sheep, and that which your mouth has stated you will do. Note, of course, here that the order is reversed. Moshe first says, build cities for your children, and then pens for your sheep. So he's clearly reacting to their earlier statement where they put the sheep first. Moshe says, no, put the children first and not the sheep. Verse 25. The children of God and the children of Reuven said to Moshe, Your servants will do just as our master has commanded. Our children, our wives, and our flocks, and all of our animals will remain there in the cities of the Gilad. And your servants will pass over, all of them a vanguard for the army to fight for God in warfare as our master commands. Moshe now formalizes the agreement. Verse 28. Moshe commanded for them, Elazar the priest, Yehoshua the son of Nun, and the chiefs of the clans of the tribes of the people of Israel. 
אם יעברו ונגד ובני ראובן איתכם את הירדן כל חלוץ למלחמה לפני אדוני ונכבשה הארץ לפניכם ונתתן להם את ארץ הגלעד לאחוזה. משה said to them, if the children of God and Reuven will pass over with you, they will pass over the Jordan, all of those girded for warfare before God as a vanguard and the land will be conquered before them, then you shall give them the land of Gilad as a possession. V'im lo ya'avru chalutzim itchem v'nochazu v'tochachem be'eretz kena'an. But if they do not pass over as a vanguard with you, then they will, in, they will possess with you in the land of Canaan. The rabbis refer to Moshe's words in these particular verses as a t'nai kaful, a double conditional. Effectively, Moshe states both sides of the conditional statement. If you do this, then that. If you don't do this, then that. If you go over and fight, then you will possess the land. But if you don't go over and fight, then you will possess in Canaan. A Tanai Kaful is understood to be a very formal and powerful statement of a condition when people make an agreement or some sort of a treaty. A Tanai Kaful is the kind of statement that solidifies it in the best possible way, or in other words, Moshe is leaving nothing to chance. Verse number 31. Bnei Gad and Bnei Reuven responded and they said, That which God has spoken to your servants, we shall do. We will pass over as chalutzim, as a vanguard before God into the land of Canaan, and with us our possession will be on the other side of the Arden. So it seems as if we have reached a resolution. The two, the two tribes stated their request, Moshe stated his displeasure. The two tribes modified their request. Moshe accepted the modification and now creates a formal mechanism for ensuring its fulfillment. And Bnei Gad and Bnei Reuven agree to the terms. Verse number 33. Moshe gave to the children of God and to the children of Reuven and to half of the tribe of Menashe, the son of Yosef, the kingdom of Sichon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, who ruled over the Bashan, the land according to its cities and its borders, the cities of the land, all about. What of course is very surprising in this particular verse is that now it seems the half-tribe of Menasheh has joined the discussion. Up until now it has only been the children of God and the children of Reuven and with them the agreement was formalized. And now when Moshe actually distributes the land all of the sudden in verse 30, 33, 
Chatsi Shevet Menashe Ben Yosef is part of the picture. Half of the tribe of Menashe, the son of Yosef. The Ramban explains that when the people realized just how vast the territory was on the eastern side of the Arden, they understood that they would have difficulty settling it. And Moshe therefore asked for volunteers from the tribes of Israel who might be willing to actually take possession of land not on the western side, but on the eastern side instead. And the half-tribe of Menashe agreed to do so. Of course, this novel interpretation is somewhat difficult because if up until now Moshe has been very reluctant for tribes to settle east of the Arden, it's difficult to imagine that at this point he would be asking for volunteers. Another possibility is the following. Moshe understands, perhaps better than the two tribes understand, that to dwell on the eastern side of the Arden is a risky move. After all, they will be far away from the heartland of the land of Canaan. They will be far away from the destiny of the people of Israel. They will be divided by the river Jordan that runs down the middle. And it's quite possible that in that distance, they will become remote and irrelevant. Moshe therefore says the best mechanism for ensuring a successful outcome is to create a linkage between the tribes west of the Arden and those that are east of the Arden. In a tribal society, the most powerful bonds are among the members of the tribe. And therefore Moshe doesn't ask for volunteers as the Ramban suggests, but actually assigns some of the clans of Menashe to the eastern side of the Arden, knowing full well that the tribal bonds between the eastern families and the western ones will create the possibility of a larger connection between the tribes that dwell east and the tribes that dwell west. As it turns out, it wasn't really half of the tribe of Menashe that settled east of the Arden, but only some of the families associated with the clan. According to the data in the census of Parshat Pinchas, the tribe of Menashe had eight families or clans associated with it. Machir, who gave birth to Gilad, and from Gilad were descended six other clans, Iezer, Chelek, Asriel, Shechem, Shmida, and Chefer. Of these eight clans, only two of them, Machir and Gilad, remained east of the Yarden. But because it was a significant part of the tribe, and perhaps the tribe's most gifted warriors, the Torah always refers to that part of the tribe as Chatsi Shevet Menashe, half of the tribe of Menashe. We continue. Verse number 34. They built Bet Nimra and Bet Haran as cities that were fortified 
and pens for their sheep. Verse 37. The children of Reuven built Cheshbon and El Aleh, Ve'et Kiryatayim. Ve'et Nevo, Ve'et Baal Me'on, Musabot Shem, Ve'et Sivma, Ve'yikru'u Ve'shemot et Shemot He'arim Asher Banu. They built Nevo and Baal Me'on, Musabot Shem and Sivma, and they called them by name, the names of the cities that they had built. Pasuk Lametet, verse 39. The sons of Machir, son of Menashe, went to Gilad and they conquered it. And they dispossessed the Amorites that dwelt there. Verse 40 Moshe assigned the Gilad to Machir, the son of Menashe, and he dwelt there. Vi'ir ben Menashe halach va'yilkod et chavotehem va'yikra et hen chavot Ya'ir. Ya'ir, the son of Menashe, went and he conquered their villages. And he called those villages the villages chavot Ya'ir, the villages of Ya'ir. Interestingly enough, although Ya'ir ben Menashe is regarded as being a member of the tribe of Menashe, it actually turns out that his lineage is drawn from the tribe of Yehuda and the tribe of Menashe. His mother is the daughter of Machir. Sorry, his grandmother mother is the daughter of Machir. Chetzron, from the tribe of Yehuda, married the daughter of Machir, son of Menashe. They had a child, Siguv, and Siguv had a son called Yair. So the fact that the Torah now traces Yair as the son of the, Manash, the tribe of Menashe, that's only true through the matrilineal line. Through the patrilineal line, Yair is actually a member of the tribe of Yehuda. So this is a rare moment when a tribal affiliation is given through the matrilineal line rather than the patrilineal one, presumably because Machir ben Menashe and the tribe of Menashe in general was a warrior tribe, and Yair being a warrior figure, therefore is best linked with that side of the family. The section concludes with verse number 42. Novach went and he captured Knat and its outskirts, and he called it Novach, after his own name. With that, the section concludes seemingly on a positive and optimistic note. The rabbis, however, in the Midrash felt much less sanguine about the outcome. And they actually explain that later on in biblical history, at the time of the Assyrian invasion, it will be the two and a half tribes east of the Ardennes that are exiled first, never to be heard of again. Tragically, as the Midrash puts it, in Bamidbar Rabbah 22.7, the tribes of Gad and Reuven were wealthy and had many flocks. Because of their love of their possessions, they decided to dwell outside of the land of Israel. Therefore, they were exiled before any of the other tribes. What brought this fate upon them? the fact that they separated themselves from their brethren because of their wealth. As the verse states, 
the tribes of Reuven and Gad had immense flocks. A cautionary tale indeed. At the end of the day, the things that matter most are not our wealth or our possessions, but rather our destiny with the people of Israel. And that must be the shining light that guides our decisions.